0: Some of you know I'm uh, something of a Civil War buff, which basically means I uh, grew up walking battlefields in Virginia, and I've read a few books. Um, But the problem with that reputation is I get asked from time to time, especially today, these days, so what do you think? What do you think of that whole debate regarding the Confederate flag? Um... Well, my answer is somewhat nuanced. Uh, on the, I'm going to do it on the one hand this and on the other hand that. Okay, so on the, on the one hand, uh, I really in my heart of hearts don't feel like the fur regarding the flag addresses the tragic issues in Charleston and the massacre that took place there. I would also say, just from, from a historical standpoint, that um, if you go back and read the sources... A lot of folks in the South, in the 19th century, for them it really was about states' rights and not slavery. On the one hand. That said, on the other hand, that flag has been used in some abusive ways through the years. And it is indeed offensive to a lot of people so much so that it has become a true barrier to racial reconciliation. And so maybe it's time to take it down. Maybe it really is time to take it down. Maybe it's true that there are some things, for love's sake, that are best displayed in a museum. Okay, that's my response. That's my nuanced response. That said, not everything that people are saying should be in a museum today belongs in a museum. I'm talking about the Christian faith itself. There are some, there's a boiling coming up within our culture, slow but sure, that it really, Christianity itself should be put in a museum. It itself is a relic of the past that ought to just be put away, seen, or maybe not even seen and forgotten. Now, how do you, how, how should we respond to that? What do we, what do we do with, with that? Besides just saying no. I think our text points us in, the, in a direction. If we delve into it and really begin to understand and comprehend and grapple with what's there and then go a step further and begin to actually live it out. The implications. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, turning or clicking, your preference, uh, we are in Matthew's Gospel, the very end of Matthew chapter 4. I was telling Sarah the other day, uh, this is the last of the, the narrative passages for quite some time in this study through Matthew's Gospel. Because next time uh, we're in this study, we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount, and that's chapters 5 and 6 and 7. And it would be a crime to just fly through that. So uh, treasure If you love narrative, treasure it now because this is it. Um, Anyway, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. Hear now the word of God. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, would you teach us, teach us the way of your statutes and that we might keep them to the end? Or would you give us understanding that we would keep your law and observe it with our whole heart? Would you lead us in the path of your commandments and make that our delight? Would you incline our heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain? Would you turn our eyes from worthless things and Give us life in your ways. We long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give us life. We ask that you would help us see what was taking place there in those days here in this uh, short summary account in Matthew's Gospel. Help us see, envision, picture it. Grapple with it, wrestle with it. What was happening and the implications of those realities. We pray for your mercy. We, we ask for your Spirit's work in, in even our hearts this morning. Amen. So, uh, I, I I hate to burst the bubble of my fellow science fiction fans in the room, but I have news for you. If, in fact, the Starship Enterprise did in fact, was in fact, to boldly go where no man had gone before to seek out new life and new civilizations, that five-year mission would be really boring. I I hate to burst your bubble. There's no one out there. There's no one out there to meet. There is no new life and new civilizations to to discover. The fine-tuning required for life to exist on other planets is just far too great. We live on a very privileged planet, folks. It is to say unique doesn't do justice to the word. Now, you you may remember, maybe you remember Cosmos, that that PBS show from years ago, and Carl Sagan and all his billions and billions and and the way he, he put that for us and explained, you know, years ago, that there were basically... Two essential features for life to to come into being and and to flourish and exist on on a world. And what that meant is, as you did the math, what that meant was, we should then be able to expect, as we go up into the stars, we should be able to expect to find life, something like we find here, You know, I don't know what what they would look like, but something, on some roughly one in every 10,000 planets. Now you're like, whoa, that's not much. But when you consider the math, And the number of planets out there, it's like, well, maybe Captain Kirk would have something to do. But the problem is this. In the years since, those two essential factors, that little list has grown into 150. As scientists have really begun to to understand the complexities in play. Just in our own little planet here, the essential things that have to be in play have to do with the sun Unique features of it. Gravitational forces in our solar system, the other planetary bodies within our solar system, the moon, so unique, so special. Then, of course, our own Earth. All these things coming into play. So that when you do the math, instead of it being one in 10,000, that's one, and for you people who forgot your math, that's, that's four zeros, one in four zeros. Now the odds go to one in some 10 to the 50th Power. That's a one, not with four zeros, but with 50 zeros. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Star Trek, probably about a 15-minute show, and you're done. Privileged planet. We, we, we are living on and surrounded by evidence of design everywhere which points to of course you know design points to the reality the, the likelihood of a designer but we just we, we just don't see it we're just bored it's, it's every day it's the same thing we don't we don't have the eyes we don't have the grid we don't have the lens we don't appreciate everywhere you look everywhere you could go everything you could contemplate is, is speaks to this now where am I going with this in Matthew 4 well it reminds me something of how jaded we are, I think sometimes we read passages like what I just read a few moments ago. It's just, oh, well, okay, yeah, Jesus is doing his thing. And, and it's, it's not, <laughs> that's just not, it doesn't stun us the way it ought to. We're not really envisioning and picturing the, the wonder of what is taking place here, as Matthew has described in the summary of what is going on for weeks and months Uh, maybe maybe we maybe we've just heard it too many times. I don't I don't know. Or, or or maybe we just can't envision. it. Maybe we can't picture what it was like there on on the ground. Let me try and help you. Okay. So Galilee is a mountain. Oh, just picture this. Okay. Maybe it's kind of like I don't know East Tennessee to some degree. To some degree. You know, not big mountains. We're not talking. You know, um, the Rockies. We're talking large hills, but mountains nonetheless. So it's a mountainous region in in northern. Uh, Palestine, we might call that today, northern Israel, uh, in the first century, roughly some 300,000 from we can tell from the, from the data, from other biblical, extra-biblical sources, some 300,000 people in this, in this region, uh, spread out over some 200 roughly towns and villages. And, and Matthew tells us that Jesus is not just waiting around for them to come to him. He's what you could call an itinerant preacher he's going into the hills and hollers from place to place and you can imagine if you're following him how how routine maybe at some to some way this or even maybe even a mundane this might seem day after day he's going to these places it's the same message the same message cuz he you know repeating it place to place like a circuit rider and he's seeing the same things the same needs the same struggles the same Agony. And again, if you're just watching this, you might be well, it kind of boring, you know, except for this little detail. When you read verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. How do you get bored with that? I don't know. Jesus' ministry is so much greater than we think. So much greater than we think. And I, we need to see that and let that shape and let that stretch us. The greatness of his ministry. Now it begs the question, well, how is his ministry so great? Okay, let me, two things, at least these two things for the next few minutes. First, the breadth of his concern is so much greater than we usually think. And also, I'll, I'll add this to the part two, the extent of his power extent of his power. So the breadth of his concern yoked with the extent of his power. So much greater. Let's look at this in, in, in turn. So the breadth of Jesus' concern. How how far does that go? How far does that reach? How might the, the boundaries of our own expectations of what it looks like to follow him need to be stretched? Matthew's quite clear the breadth of Jesus' concern goes out embracing all peoples. All peoples, not just his own, not just his fellow Jews, but all peoples. Look, let's look at it together. So it begins throughout all Galilee. I'll read, it's only three verses. I have to read them repeatedly to really dig into this. But verse 23 And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So it didn't matter. It didn't matter how big or how prosperous or what the reputation was of the town or the village or or the city. It didn't matter what the size was. It didn't matter what the status was. It didn't matter how wealthy or sophisticated or cultured or how um, isolated or remote that place was. He went there because he cared. Because he cared. But not just that. We, We read that he went throughout all Galilee and then... People from beyond those reaches, those regions came, as, and understandably so. Understandably, you pick up there in verse 24, as a consequence of what was happening there in Galilee, so, verse 24, so his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So in Galilee, it's a predominantly Jewish region, but there are trade routes snaking their way in between the hills, in the valleys, and going to key towns and places. And those trade routes would bring people from the outside and take them back to other places. And so the word is spreading, and Jesus' reputation is growing, and as a consequence of that, People from Syria, now that's a region that's that's north of Galilee, are hearing and they're coming. And then Matthew tells us that people not only from Syria, but people from the Decapolis. Now that's down to the south and over to the east. It's Decapolis, ten cities is what it means in, in Greek. And, and that's predominantly uh, Gentile or Roman. And they're coming to the word is spreading. The kingdom is coming. Has come and is coming. Not in full, but it's coming. Nonetheless, the light dawn is breaking. His concern, so clear here for all people. So much greater than I think we usually think. And not just that, but also including, embracing all peoples and also including all needs. All needs. Now, there's two forms of ministry, I guess you could say here, that Jesus is, is, is working out, uh, in, in this time, and, and one would be, what I'll just put it this way the ministry of the Word. We're told that, that He is uh, place to place, He is teaching in their synagogues, He is explaining, He is expounding, but not just that, He is proclaiming. Actually, the word could be even translated preaching. There's a sense of authority to what he is saying. It's like a herald, you know, in those those old medieval, I don't mean to mix the time periods here, but you know, the the town crier comes in, backed by the authority of, of the crown, coming in with a message. Hear ye, hear ye, down with the tyrant, death to the tyrant, long live the king. The king has come. Long live the king. Well, here it's the king proclaiming the message Himself. And it's the gospel of the kingdom as as Matthew describes it. Extraordinary the way the way he he does that. And so it's not just the the ministry of the word, though, and the teaching and the proclaiming, but it's also coupled with that, not isolated, not cut off, but coupled right there with it is the ministry of of works, the ministry of, of deeds. Every disease, Matthew tells us, every type of disease, every type of affliction, Jesus. Heals. You don't have to worry about whether or not you met your deductible. You don't have to worry about whether or not your provider is in the network. You don't have to worry about pre-existing conditions. Jesus will take care of that. How? He is Lord. He is Lord. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, He is Lord. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is, he is the King which means that there is nothing, there is nothing that can have such a grip upon you that Jesus cannot then yet set you free. Because he is Lord. Such is the breadth of his concern, embracing all peoples and all needs. And as we wrestle with that and reckon that with that, that needs to stretch the breadth of our, of our own concern. Right? Extracting the breadth of our concern for all peoples. None left out. None excluded. None separated over here. Deal with you later. No, it's a lens through which we would see ourselves and everyone around us that we would come into contact with that it does not matter how, what your age is, what your gender is, what your race is, what your culture is, what your background is, what your baggage is how much you know, how much you make, none of that matters. None of it. Jesus saves sinners. End of sentence. To all peoples. To all peoples. That's the hope we have and it's the message we have. But not just that, but to all needs as well. You see, the fall is a historical reality, a stubborn one. A stubborn time and space event, Genesis 3, that that shattered, that that brought layers uh, of of alienation and separation. Like, Like a rock, some of you have heard me use this analogy before, it's like a rock was dropped into the pond, and you have these ripples going out from there, these alienations, these separations from God, From within ourselves, from one another, and from nature, from creation itself. Well, you see, the kingdom is coming, which means that brings healing to every one of those ripples. Every one of those aspects of the fall, the kingdom comes and heals it. Now, the ministry of the kingdom then means it also has to go to those same places. Has to have the same affect the same longing to meet and go wherever the fall has touched. Put it this way. I don't mean it sounds silly or simplistic, but Jesus is a holistic Savior. And his church is to have something of a holistic ministry. The great Isaac Watts, joy to the World," right? Far as the curse is found. That's where we're to go. And that's what our concern ought to encompass. It's the breadth of Jesus' concern to all peoples, covering, extending to all needs. My friends, his, Jesus' ministry, again, is so much greater than we think. And we need to let that shape us and stretch us. That's the first thing. With that, coupled with that, the extent of his power the extent of his power. Um, how, how far does that go? What does that encompass? What does that look like? And as we grapple and wrestle with, with, with that, how might that stretch our assumptions? Again, I don't mean to sound simplistic, but honestly, how does that impact our assumptions that just have to do with the fabric of life? Life in this world. You need to talk about miracles. Maybe we'll start with a definition. So I have, there's three ways you could get at this, and I'm going to kind of build here. Okay? So the first, and, and, using the, the, and defining it in the ways that we sometimes use the word. Okay? So one way that we sometimes use the word is referring to common things, everyday things that still nonetheless take your breath away. Now, Titans fans... You haven't had one for a long time, but you may you may remember the Music City miracle, right? Now the rest of us, normal people, would say the birth of a baby, (laughs) which is a little different plane, I guess. But anyway, but but nonetheless, sometimes we use words, the word miracle, to describe things like the common, you know, relatively everyday sorts of things that nonetheless get your attention and there's a wow factor with it, in a sense of wonder there. Okay. But there's another way we use it, and that's sometimes with more uncommon things, uh, things that, that, what, that the timing is just, you can't get your mind around it. The, the, the way needs are met are just, just stunning. It's not that any physical laws have been broken. Um, Newton's still okay. Uh, but, but nonetheless, difficult to explain you know, it's like a prayer was answered. Or, or, or God's hand was at work in some dramatic fashion. Let me give, let me give an example to, from, from our own lives. Um, fall of 1992, I was a first-year seminary student at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. And we got word, I won't go into all these crazy details, but we got word that we had just lost the free housing that we'd kind of been relying on to financially make it in in those months. And we had to find something else immediately. There was no dilly-dallying around. We had to move. And the best possible option that we could find was an apartment, not that far away, that right up front, they wanted one month's rent, and you know what's coming, a security deposit. That was also the equivalent of another month's rent. We didn't have either of those to say nothing of, of both. Okay, but the cl- it's not just the calendar; it's the clock is ticking. We've got a matter of days to come up with this. In the mail, the day before this money is due is a check from some friends of ours in Virginia for the exact dollar amount to cover the two the, not the two the, the the rent. And the deposit. But here's the thing. We hadn't told anyone. Just a few folks there in our church in St. Louis. But no one in the state of Virginia knew. And even if we had made a call the night we found out, because of the timing, they would have had to have mailed the check days before we even knew we had the need. Oh, that's just coincidence. That's just chance. See that, that? In that sense, that's that second grade. Okay. So you've got the common everyday thing. Huh? That's that's pretty cool. And then you've got the secondary thing. Whoa. <laughs> okay. And now you have the third. You see? See? In this thing with Sarah and I, that in the in the fall of 1992, there were no natural laws broken there. Right? I mean. It's, it's not like it was transported back to Star Trek. It's not like, the, the, is there no time travel going on there? I mean, it, it, you know, Newton's still okay. Everything's fine. There's nothing supernatural going on there in the sense of, you know, the physics involved. But with this third one, what we're reading of here in, in Matthew is, is another league. The, these are things that cannot be rationally reasonably explained naturally. It's a supernatural in, in that biblical sense of a miracle. Um, the, uh, this is where you see God intervening. This is where you see God, you could say, intruding into the natural way that he works over the course of daily events. Um, Old Testament, the classic example, of course, is the Exodus and the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea and and, and such. New Testament, of, of course, well, you have Jesus' incarnation and the resurrection and, and the events that we read of summarized here and all through the Gospel accounts and on into the, the, the book of, of, of Acts. Um, again, signs... And wonders, signs and wonders, no reasonable, natural explanation. This is supernatural. The purpose? What would be the purpose, God? What would we God have in mind in doing such things? Let me give you three possibilities. Um, one would be to accredit the messenger, to, to communicate to those who are seeing this thing, the, uh, uh, these, these events unfold. This is my messenger. I, this is, you need to listen. You need to listen. And I'm backing it you know, with, with what's happening here. Another would be a demonstration of his nature. I mean, what's transpiring there? It's a, it's a just It shows. It's a demonstration that's flowing uh, from his hand of, of his compassion of, or maybe his justice or maybe his just his power or some combination all, all thereof. So you've got uh, a validation of the messenger. You've got a demonstration of his character. But then thirdly, I would add this, and that is just the kingdom breaking in. Just the kingdom breaking in, shaking things up. I wouldn't so much say a violation of nature, but a restoration of it. Not just a bare, naked, raw display of Jesus' divinity, but a foretaste of what is coming. When all things are made new. So, some possibilities in terms of purposes. But now, it sort of begs a question. Is this even possible? Is this even possible? Can, can, can such things happen? Can reasonable people even entertain ideas? You know, because the claim is made. It goes something like this. You know, you really can't trust the Bible. You can't really trust the Bible and what it's saying because you know it does talk about miracles. And we do know miracles aren't real because science has proven that. That's the argument. The question is, has it? Has science proven that miracles cannot happen? Let's talk about science for just a moment. What's the role of science? What is its job description? To test for natural causes and to explain them. That is its job description, and it's an important one, and we need it. But it goes only that far. To go beyond that is to go outside its pay grade, and to go outside its, at that job description. It, it, science is not meant to. It cannot. It doesn't have the ability to go and talk about what other causes might be in play or at work. It can't speak to them. Um, And and the the rub is that when scientists want to make, like I said a moment ago, sweeping statements about what can and cannot be in the nature of reality and how miracles therein cannot really be real, it's letting the assumptions drive the conclusion. The assumption being we lived in a closed system. That's a fancy schmancy term for a big room. A big room that is like a vault. Nothing gets in from the outside because there is nothing on the outside. That's the idea. It says, only within the closed system, natural cause and effect, observable phenomena that science can therein explain. That's the, the idea. But what if, what if, what if? What if there was someone outside the room? And what if it turns out he built the dang room? That's a technical term. And what if he decides, I'm going to shake things up. I'm going to reach into that room. I'm going to do something. Science can't speak to that. To to, to make blanket statements about such things is actually faith. It's actually faith. I'll give you an example. Um... Alvin Plantinga, a fantastic Christian uh, philosopher, well, well respected in all kinds of circles. He uses this analogy of, of a drunk. Yes, yes, a drunk. Um, I'm talking about drunks here in my sermon. Uh, there's this drunk who's looking for his car keys at night on the street under a streetlight. Okay? And that's where he's looking is under the streetlight because that's the only place he can see. Right? It's a very dark night. It's the only place he can see, so, under the streetlight. so it's the only place that he's looking, which is fine, because it's the only place he can see. But there's a problem if the drunk, in his drunken state, then claims, well, this is the only place I'm looking, because it's the only place they could be. No, 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 no. It's the only place you can see. It's not the only place they could be. You understand the, the difference? And sadly... Scientists making sweeping statements, as is sadly oftentimes done, is like, I don't mean to be disparaging, but like the drunk looking for his keys, insisting that they can only be under the light in which he can see, basically making the claim, if it's not here, it ain't anywhere. We need to let the extent of Jesus' power challenge our assumptions about such things rattle our assumptions about such things. Look, if if you're here this morning and you're just barely keeping up with me right now because you're just not buying into this, let me encourage you. Be aware of your assumptions. Be aware and beware of the assumptions that you bring to the table. And know this. Reckon with this. Good science through the years is moving in this direction of increasingly seeing evidence of design everywhere. Everywhere, which therein begs the question, might there be a designer? And if there's a designer who, in fact, made all things out of nowhere, like the Metaxas quote I read earlier, is it really so impossible to believe that just maybe the one who made it all might be able to do something extraordinary within it all when he so chooses? but maybe you're, you're tracking you're like yep 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 miracles i got it I'm, I'm i'm yeah okay good live out of it live out of it put your put feet on your belief be willing to hope be willing to hope have courage to act Be bold to pray. Jesus' ministry, again, I've said this before, is so much greater than we usually think. We need to let that shape and stretch everything. As we we wrestle with this, the, the breadth of his concern being so much greater, the extent of his power being so much greater, to the degree we are willing to wrestle with that and reckon with that, it will have an effect on us. A really good effect. Just like it did with the early church. History is a stubborn thing. These facts that then beg explanations. For instance, what was it that drove those ordinary men and women to plant churches as they did in those early decades, to, to send missionaries to places they had no idea how they'd be received, or in some cases, they did and despite that sent them. What enabled them to withstand the pressure of, of Roman persecution and the charges of sedition or Jewish charges of blasphemy sort were caught between them? What drove them, impelled them to engage the culture the way that they did, they did and went into the places of, of power and influence and the marketplace and the halls of academia and the arts and went into those places and were willing to challenge the idols, to identify them, to, to expose them, to challenge the idols of their day. What, what fueled... They're setting the world on fire. What was the force that enabled them to turn the world on its head? You know what it was? They were emboldened by this message. They were emboldened by this message and empowered by God's Spirit. They knew that the kingdom of heaven had come and was coming. And they were sure of the presence of the King in whatever they did. May it be so of us. Shaping us, stretching us, all our assumptions and all our expectations. May it be so of us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, in Your coming, Walking on this earth, there was heaven on earth, God in the flesh walking among us. So should we be really so surprised at what we read in the historical records? We have this testimony, a sure, clear testimony of the breadth of your concern demonstrated amongst people in need and want. And the testimony of the extent of your great power. Well, of course, God in the flesh. Oh, Lord, Jesus, as, as we live our daily lives, as we go forth and to work tomorrow or play or um, out there in the community, in the context of, of relationships or school or career choices or struggles and wonderings and medical questions and just the everyday stuff. Oh, we pray that you would shape us, stretch us. As we wait, we know that with you the kingdom has come and has, is coming yet in full. Pray that you give us with, with these accounts a glimpse of all of that, of what has come and is coming. The kingdom of heaven, all things new. Despite what we've been told, despite what we're accustomed to to thinking and seeing, that this is not how things have forever been. It's not how things were meant to be, and it's not how they will forever be. There's change coming, surely, as the morning sun comes over that eastern horizon. There's change coming. We pray that you'd help us, each one, to live in light of that. Amen.